it's funny about this conversation about gender is that it's not something I think about that much in relation to Homoco, either from the products or the way the brand is marketed. We're the Majority Group, and this is Style as Identity, where we profile the designers and founders whose mere existence shifts our understanding of the style status quo. We're your hosts. I'm Lola Cotero. And I'm Frankie Pawson. And after years of settling for style that didn't represent us, we set out to find the brands that did. Join us each episode as we learn from brands that are an extension of their values, identity, and aesthetic. And because of them, we're seen and represented. Whether you're on Fire Island or home on the couch, to us, Homoko is the go-to brand for embodying summer fun. Homoko's collection of versatile tops and power bottoms enable queers and their friends to show up and show out in responsibly made fits. And where some brands prioritize growth, Homoko invests their marketing budget within the queer community through collaborations and giving back. Who is this dreamboat behind Homoko? Daniel Dugoff, one of the most thoughtful, open designers we've met. Our discussions with him expand our thinking, and we can't wait for you to learn with us as we chat with Daniel today. Now, in both fashion and the queer community, a lot is coded by gender, and we wanted Daniel's approach to building a brand within these constructs and how he uses style to affirm our identities. Since this conversation is based on visual subject matter, we created a little guide to share with you. Text HOMOKO, that's H-O-M-O-C-O, to us at the number 833-495-4773 to get it. Should we do it? Let's get into it. Daniel, hi. Hi there. So happy you're here. Thanks for having me. Of course. Let's get into it. All right. So the media refers to HOMOKO in so many different ways in reference to gender and now that we have you, the source here, we were wondering, how do you describe Homoko in an industry like fashion, where the terminology is so coded by gender? Yeah. So I refer to Homoko as a brand for queer people and their friends. And I'm really careful not to use gendered language around the products and around the brand. But of course, media has to define who the audience is. But all media has its own particular audience. So the way that I've generally handled it is I explain that to whoever I'm talking to, and then they interpret it for how it is to be consumed in their sphere. So if I'm talking to a queer publication, they might use non-gendered or unisex language. Or if I'm talking to a menswear magazine, they'll definitely like call it menswear and swim. But I sort of don't think in those terms, it's more of like what fits this audience, what clothes can the broadest group of people in this audience wear. And that's what I try and make. That comes across in your imagery, in your e-com. When I go and I'm looking at a shirt, I see it on different, all different types of people in body sizes and shapes. And And the website is divided by product type. It's like, if you want a brief, you probably are a certain body type and you're going to go in that direction. So like, how do I get a customer there quickly? Or if you want a t-shirt or a camp shirt, that's like 
easier and more forgiving for like all sorts of shapes. It's often a different customer. And how do you get there as quickly as possible without using men's and women's terminology? But it's like, how do you explain sizing? It's such a cluster fuck of what the standard is. And yeah. unfortunately, this is the one place where I feel like I haven't figured it out yet. Because nobody has. Because nobody has. I basically use men's sizing because most people have had the experience of buying like a unisex, like American apparel. Unisex is just men's. Yeah, unisex right? is men's. Mm -hmm. And like the way to describe a elastic swim trunk fit is like, what size jeans do you wear? If you wear this range, get an extra small. If you wear this range, get a medium. And it's not the best solution, but it's the thing that most people understand. Like men would never understand if you had it in women's sizing. But for the most part, yeah. women will understand. Oh yeah, I wear this size jean and that's like equivalent to this in a men's jean. and I can get that size. Well, and I think the part that also layered on it is challenging is size and fit are really different. For 80% of my clothes, I want the fit to be baggy. And right. for 20%, I want it to be fitted. And that associates with size that we associate with body shape. And there's just a lot to... Like the brief, which is like a gendered item because it has a pouch in the front for anatomy purposes, is a pretty conservative cut. So I've noticed that people that want like a sexier cut buy like a size or two sizes down because then it's just smaller. Nobody wants a baggy brief? Weird. Well, it's more of like a full coverage brief. Like I hate when it cuts across the middle of your butt. So it like covers your full butt. But if you want it to cut across the middle of your butt, you can go a size down and then it's much tighter. And that's just like my preference as a designer versus like customer preference. Yeah. But all of the products are kind of designed to be agile. Like we're all wearing the camp shirt and the camp shirt is like really boxy. And Yay. basically most people I know can wear a small or an extra large and it looks good. And if you're like broader, bigger, and you go to an extra large or a double extra large, it's still not going to fit like a tiny little thing. That is really cool too. Cause earlier when you were saying for queer people and their friends, and you were talking about how you have your own way of describing Homoko, yeah. but you also kind of give people the reins based on who their community is, who they're talking to so that they can kind of see themselves in yeah. the brand. And then Lola talked about like the marketing and how yeah, size and fit are different, but you go a step further because just from, you know, being a Homoko customer and also like stocking the brand, it is easy to see myself in the product, not only because of how you've organized the site and the shopping experience, yeah. but also because of like who wears it. It's exciting that you pick up on that because it's like so intentional that the brand imagery is like the same product in different contexts yeah. instead of really tightly controlling an editorial lens. I like work with really different photographers and they create wildly different images but it's you're seeing the same swim trunk on different groups of friends in different contexts and you're seeing you can start to imagine like oh my body's kind of like that person or i'm tall and lanky like that person or i'm shorter like that person and they're wearing it and like seeing it has a three and three quarter inch inseam that doesn't mean anything because it's actually about how the rise of the it goes around your butt and like how high it comes up on your hips is like actually how that affects the fit. So being able to imagine yourself in it, I think is it's hard when an e-com, when any brand just like really controls the images and it's like always on the same type of person or it's always on like 
two different kinds of people that mm-hmm. you see in women. Like two extremes. Yeah. There's like super skinny model and size 16. And it's like, well, if I'm size eight, what does it look like on me? I want to get to more behind the creatives and people you engage to help communicate the brand. But one thing that we're really focused on at the majority group is our evolution and our journey and learning and expanding awareness and, you know, hopefully bettering ourselves and how we show up in the world. And the one thing I'm kind of fascinated with is you are so thoughtful in these ways that us as the consumer, like we see, but then we also don't see it all. And when we get to those juicy bits in a minute, I'd love to hear about your journey to thoughtfulness. I mean, obviously you were probably thoughtful from in the womb, but... But you had a brand previously, Dukoff. It was menswear. And I'd love to have you share about your journey and how your notions of gender have evolved to inform what is now Homoko today. Yeah. I mean, part of it is opportunistic. And it was that I had this brand for five years before Homoko existed. And it was a wholesale brand that was, so I was selling to stores that were then selling to customers. And I had a little bit of sales online, but it was mostly going to trade shows and hoping that the buyer communicated to the store staff the story that I was telling them and like that never happened. And it was expensive because I was buying amazing Japanese and Italian fabrics and producing it in New York City. And it was just very expensive product. So the really fun, exciting pieces were too risky because it was so expensive. Nobody was going to buy the insane print on a $400 shirt. Wish I could. Yeah. I mean, I wish I could, but I felt terrible even like selling it to my friends Mm because it was like, I can't afford this. Like, how are my friends going to afford this? Mm. So part of the exercise of like rethinking that brand that became Homoko was how do I do the thing that I love in Dugoff, which was color and print and really cool textiles in a way that people can afford. And then once I figured out what that product was, which was this sort of swim summer printed thing, it became who's the audience that buys that or who's an underserved audience that would buy that. And I was thinking about how one of the things with Dugoff that I always wanted to do but couldn't was say that it was queer because it was so expensive. Any customer that I got I had to hold on to, and I didn't want to alienate anybody by saying this is for this guy, not that guy, and selling to stores in other countries and selling to stores in the South or selling to stores in conservative towns. Like it's just, and and not telling that story directly to the customer, relying on the store to tell the story. It's like so many layers of telephone. So it became for Homoko, it was like, okay, I want to make swimwear that's really colorful. Who can buy that? Who wants to buy that? Who isn't being sold that? And I was thinking about how companies that sell things to queer people either do it through sex sells, smutty, usually cheap things, or trying to have some sort of grand aspiration of like extreme wealth lifestyle. But there didn't seem to be brands that were talking to like, normal queer people that like are cool and want nice stuff. But the statement is like, this is a queer brand, not this is what you wear to have sex or this is what you wear at like the white party. Or you buy during Pride Month. Right. Something that I love when you said, oh, thinking about Dugoff and you're like, 
my friends aren't going to wear this. Like, I don't want to sell this to my friends. Like yeah. that line of thinking of like, what do my friends want to wear? I think transfers really well to the accessibility of Homoko as a brand, which, which you were like, people like us, like just living our lives. Like we yeah. don't need a sticker on our forehead that says, you know, like I'm a queer person. I need clothes for queer people. It's like, well, yes, I need clothes, but it's because like I'm me and I'm human. And I like that that kind of comes out. And how does a brand have an attitude that is queer? Yeah without it being embarrassing <laughs> without it being like target does pride month yeah right? like um, exploiting yeah. the community one of the things that i often say in these kinds of interview contexts and it's like every time i say it i'm like don't say that is it like <laughs> there's we nothing, go. <laughs> there's nothing queer about the product it's just good clothes that are made responsibly and fit and last but <laughs> but what about the style but the brand and how it's sold and marketed and how i think i engage with a customer is like deeply queer and then the financial structure of the whole thing of like who i invest in and how i mean i think that's interesting it brings up this whole question of like are there queer clothes what makes a product queer? i mean there are definitely clothes that like people in the queer community need mm -hmm. binders and gaffs and jock straps. There's sort of like a undergarment underpinning world that is like deeply queer and personal. And, but that's not really what Homoko is about. Homoko is about like, how do you express the fun of like being a part of this community with color and print in a way that is both like very queer, but also like somebody outside of the community will want to be a part of it because there's some authenticity in it being real. I guess I just still feel like the founder's queer, the people that you engage with, the money from the brand, it stays within the queer community. Totally. If I white labeled or private labeled any of the products in a different print or color, yeah, it's not like that's a gay bathing suit. It's that's a queer print on a really great bathing suit sold by a company that cares about this community and yeah. puts money back into it and works with queer photographers and models. Okay, fine. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> but, I think, but I think that that's kind of the funny magic sauce of it all is yeah. that like it shouldn't be revolutionary it's just talk to people like they're human and this is sort of the i think we'll get into this more but like the brand guideline is it's fun not sexy and like sexy can be a part of fun but like if you just talk about like queer people at the beach with their friends having a great time mm -hmm. it's a very different image than what we expect from a queer brand Let's get into it now. I feel like both from the prints themselves. Yeah. I mean, you can't see us, but we're all wearing the prints and the, the room is loud. <laughs> <laughs> it's very fun. So like from the prints in the style all the way to you talked about showing them at the beach, having fun, mm -hmm. showing us having fun and even marketing like bright colors, smiles. Like there's a lot of energy and overall like warmth. So, I mean, it sounds like that was intentional, but I'd love to just talk more about like how that goes from what you do to what we see. Totally intentional. And it's because of that missing middle between smut and exclusivity. What's the community actually doing? Hanging out and like you're with people you love and you're inspired by this like chosen family that you've built in your adult life. And like, what does that look like? And that's exciting to show. That's the brief that I have to every photographer that I work with is like, 
don't imagine the underwear or swim ad that you have in your head when you're shooting this campaign. Like, imagine what it's like hanging out with your best friend. For the photographers that you work with, you give them a brief, right? So you're like, hey, this is who we are. But we did mention earlier about how, like, when you look at the way Homoko is represented in a lot of different marketing, like it still has this like almost spectrum of like differences. It almost feels like you're going through different rooms in one house. I mean, each room has its own style and personality. So like, how do you give them those reins while still making sure it's like part of the Homoko DNA? I think it always feels like it's from the same family yeah. because the prints are really strong. And like, whether it's shot on Polaroids or 35 millimeter or like, really crisp e-com lighting like the print is the icon but i really try to work with very different photographers that have like different styles and points of view because i think what you said at the beginning what's helpful from a customer standpoint is to be able to see yourself represented so rather than focus on casting i focus a lot on photographers And then the photographers are often the ones doing the casting and it's often their friends because those are the people that you can get a group of people to show up to set and have a good time together. But it's also like this photographer is really into this drag scene in this place. So like, let's look at that. And then this photographer is in like LA and is like super community organizing based. Like what do those friends look like? That's how the marketing starts to like show the different aspects of the queer community because it's not focused on any one niche body type or any one niche queer subgenre community. It's what unites us all. What I find kind of mind boggling about that and profound is it is so powerful and it seems like a no-brainer like the brand really becomes the community but I've never seen like any brand do that before I don't think most brands are willing to relinquish that much control because like the image is so and one of the most expensive thing any brand does is hire photographers and models so the idea of like relinquishing that is terrifying It's a source of power. But I did that for five years for a different brand where I shot lookbooks and like creative directed and made props the week before and cast models and worked with usually the same photographer, but sometimes different photographers. And looking back on it after five years, it was like, this is all one perspective of how you can wear these clothes. But that's not what Homoko is about. Homoko is about like, how do you get the widest spectrum of people in these clothes. I can't cast that, but I can find people who can find more people. And it's really smart too. I love what Lola's saying. I love what you're saying too, Daniel, because when Lola and I were catching up a while ago, we were both kind of like, there are some brands where you're like, this is a one person show. Like you do a lot on your own and respect, like it's amazing. And I mean, this is a compliment. You can't really tell it's just you because it feels like it's represented by like something that's got to at least be like a committee or like a group of people. So I think that your approach to that kind of gives off. I'm glad it looks like that. Yeah. (laughs) Because I'm like toiling away in a room in Brooklyn. And sometimes it's like, is this consistent? Or does this feel like, I mean, I'm always ignoring something. If I remember to do bookkeeping, I'm not doing marketing emails. And if I'm like not doing that, then I haven't done inventory in months. Like there's always a part of the business that's not getting attention. So the fear is that the voice or the goal 
isn't shining through. Mm, but it does. It's like your core beliefs, but you're like, oh, it's not just my voice that made this happen that I'm the community I'm part of. And that's what feels so strong about it and different. I've had these four tenants basically since the beginning of the brand, if not like day one, like very early days, because I needed to have something that guided the decision making for all of the parts of the brand. And it was that the product had to be sustainably and responsibly sourced. It had to be accessible to the community, which is both like sizing and price. That collaboration was going to be a part of it in some way from like turning over the reins of marketing to photographers and just seeing what they created to working with artists to develop prints. And it was that there had to be give back that the money that the company made, like, yes, we're hiring queer photographers and artists, but like there should be organizations that benefit from the work that we're doing. And it kind of felt that like having those four tenants behind the scenes that are like responsible, but like kind of boring, they're not fun, meant that the product could be like super wild and fun because what I could show was like, just the best time ever because I knew behind the scenes everything was like as buttoned up and correct as possible. Yeah. It's criteria. Yeah. When I'm packing boxes, realizing that I haven't done X, Y, or Z in the studio or an inbound collab opportunity comes across my inbox, it's like, does it fit these four things? Does it make sense? Yeah. That makes decision-making quite easy, I'm sure. Yeah, it's like having an executive board, but it's just like four things I decided. Well, that product isn't, there's no real way to get that plastic right, so we shouldn't make those sunglasses. Like, yeah. that's not us. What I love about that, too, is like you have your non-negotiables, but then you talked about like, and then we can have a great time. It's like, we can definitely party as long as we know exactly what we're not willing to, like what has to come. We're not willing to like leave this out. And I'm not like hammering over trunks are made out of recycled plastic or the camp shirts are compostable and don't use toxic sludge. But if you dig one layer deeper, it's there. And if you talk to me about it, like it's all there. I think that that makes me as a consumer trust you more because it's almost like I know what comes with the house. Like I know what to expect. And we have this mutual grant where it's like, I trust Homoko is doing that hard work, but it doesn't have to be all we talk about, mm -hmm. but it does make me feel like pretty damn good. And it doesn't have to be like brown craft paper, or yeah. crunchy granola. Well, I think fashion, it's so visual, right? We see the garment and we're like, oh, I like this. Yeah. And then we're like, how is it made? And then we're like, oh, I like like this. Mm -hmm. And so that layer deep to your point. One of the biggest avenues of like getting new customers is through the artist collaborations because it... It's a way to like just talk to a customer group that I haven't addressed yet. So what I think is so exciting, though, is when somebody buys an artist collab print product and then comes back a couple weeks later or a month later or a year later and buys other things because it's like, oh, this isn't just about the artist collab. This is a brand that makes cool stuff in a way that I respect and I understand the story and I'm getting their emails and I see the give back and the, the stuff that's going on behind the scenes that makes it exciting. Makes me feel seen, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. One thing I wanted to go back to is we, I love hearing about these core tenants, but they're also rooted in this idea of a legacy you're building on. And I'd love to hear you talk a little bit more about why summer fun. Well, there's sort of two reasons. One is that I wanted to make 
printed stuff, colorful stuff. And that's sort of the biggest opportunity in apparel where people take a risk is I'm going on a trip. I want to buy something fun. I'm going to Coachella. Like right now, all of the orders are like, can you please ship this before Coachella? <laughs> can you ship this to my Airbnb near Coachella? Yeah. yeah. Um, in India, Coachella Valley. Because it's like you want to, you're peacocking. You want to stand out on the beach and you're wearing a tiny bit of clothing. And like, what's the brightest, most fun thing? So part of the summer fun thing is the opportunity to address that market. But the other is more rooted in history, which is that queer people for generations have gone to semi-remote or remote places outside of cities where in the summer they can escape and be themselves. And in New York, we have Fire Island, which is like at the edge of the universe because it's at the edge of the universe. It's a place where you took a train to a train to a ferry and then your boss wasn't going to be there and you could hold hands with your boyfriend and it was just a place where the community could be free and it's the same thing with Provincetown and Boston and it's the same thing with Rehoboth Beach and Philadelphia DC Baltimore and it's the same thing with Palm Springs which is like one of my favorite stories is that when movie stars were on contract they weren't allowed to leave a radius of Los Angeles because it would, they had to be able to get back to LA and film whenever the studio told them to. And Palm Springs is like within a two mile, like so close to the edge of that radius. So movie stars would go to Palm Springs because it was secluded and they could be themselves and the paparazzi weren't there taking pictures of them. And there are towns across the country that have these little queer histories. And so much of it is around the summer. It's about vacation and taking time off and like being away from work. But I also see that as sort of the beginning of Homoko and like we need to get beyond the summer and we need to bring that freedom that you have on vacation back to real life because it's a different time now, but also celebrate it because it's such a special thing that there are these places. I mean, I think any of your images, it's about, I see and I feel the safety and the freedom in that. And I think... We just think that that's the vibe of the brand, but it's rooted in this thing that's quite serious, right? Yeah. And what a wonderful journey to, at least for some of us, to feel that now in our lives. There was so much we covered. I'm going to be marinating on this forever, as I have been for a fan of the brand, and I always learn new things. And so thank you for this. I think... What sticks out to me is with media, you don't control the gender narrative. You invite people to receive Homoko in, in the way that they receive it and interpret it. And I think there's this theme where you also relinquish creative control as long as it doesn't compromise your core beliefs and tenets and the collaborators you align with. They're all queer and within the community, but they also represent different perspectives and experiences from your own and like what a way to beautifully invite others into it and make it more powerful as a result and so those are kind of the biggest things that I'm like whoa like why aren't we all doing this I don't know I love all that and for me too the last part you said about bringing the fun into our everyday lives I was like yeah what we're doing is just trying to be ourselves more often like as much as we can because it's kind of the key to like being okay. <laughs> and, and again, like Lola said, it's like, yeah, we talked about the fun and we talked about the good time, but it's also rooted in something that's at the end of the day, caring for each other and ourselves and 
I love it. Thank you. Thanks yeah. for having me. Yeah. This is a really nice conversation. I would also like to point out that we are 100% queer here, four out of four, and it happened naturally, you know? We weren't like, how can we all get in a room? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I think that that's cool, too. Yeah. And thank you for your time and thoughtfulness, Daniel. Nice to see you. Yeah, yeah. great to yes. see you. Let's do this more. Yeah. yeah. Without the mics. <laughs> uh, great. If you're like us and adding Homoko to your wardrobe right now, Daniel's got you. Take 20% off your first order. Head over to homoko.co forward slash majority. That's H-O-M-O-C-O dot C-O forward slash majority. And your discount will be applied at checkout. To get that URL texted to you, message us at the number 833-495-4773. Thanks for joining us as we explore how gender constructs have impacted what we wear, how we wear it, and who gets to participate. Next up is a convo with Sally Christensen, founder of Argent, on how she has completely changed the women's workwear game. See you next time.